but where he just talks about these ordinary things of being isolated and alone, uh, these things of the world being controlled by or turned upside down by bad men, he says, and just not really having the belief, you know, that we're trying to believe, but we don't, we don't have it. And, and the honest struggle of, of being belittled intentionally by other people and being laughed at and how when we, we put aside our maybe pride and we lay aside our own self-righteousness, this praying of the Psalms is entering into it has this cathartic and spiritually healthy way of of replacing our wrong ideas about where our righteousness comes from, replacing the wrong ideas in our head about what kind of judge God is and how we actually need to trust him in order to be able to, on a day-to-day basis, um, in the ordinariness of life, represent him with that spiritual albon. Welcome to Lesser Known Lewis, where two friends and C.S. Lewis fans explore his lesser known works. I'm Sean. And I'm Jordan. Join us in season two, where Lewis will be our guide in the Christian life, teaching us to pray and helping us to reflect through the seasons of Advent, Christmas, and Lent. Well, Jordan, here we are doing part two, Roman numeral two of Psalms, uh, one of our longer essays, and I think we're probably ready to jump right into it. You teased us last week, or sorry, last episode, by uh, mm-hmm. by saying that this was good news about judgment. What do you mean by that? Ooh, yeah. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm going to be honest with you and say that when when I listened to this one, he starts talking about judgment and I have not been in a mood lately where I feel like I want to think about the day of judgment or the Lord's judgment. (laughs) Uh, I just, I think I had a good season of, I would say purging maybe where the Lord very graciously helped me see myself better. Um, did you watch the Disney Plus show WandaVision? It was one of the Marvel TV shows. No. Okay, well. No, I, I have to admit, I, I jumped off the Marvel bandwagon after Endgame Part 2. I should have said Part 1. That would have been so funny. But no, it was Part 2. <laughs> you haven't missed a ton. But in WandaVision... The one character imagines this little happy world and really just kind of lives in a bubble that she's deceiving herself of. And I found myself around the same time, realize the whole show, you know, people are trying to reach her and help her realize that she's deceiving herself and living in this happy uh, neurotic bubble. I found myself around the same time, like felt like the Lord was doing a similar thing. And, and just going, hey, bud, um, there's some things that you need to know. You're, <laughs> you're kind of just living in this naive um, bubble of deception that you've put yourself in, and, and things aren't really as wonderful as you're making them out to be, and you're tricking yourself into, uh, into this, and there's some areas that you're ignoring, um, and some of them sinful, and you need to address them. And uh, that was really hard. And, um, 
And so since then, the idea of the Lord's judgment has been a little bit of a, a thing that makes my skin crawl and makes me fearful. And uh, maybe it's, I don't want to say post-traumatic stress, uh, post-inner healing of the Lord being very <laughs> gracious to me and pulling out the sin in my heart, stress, <laughs> Is that, if that's a thing. Yeah, yeah. Sensitivity, if nothing else. Sensitivity. Yeah. There, that's a better word. Yeah. It was kind of dovetailed with um, a time of like dark night of the soul. Um, if I may claim that for myself, I think I, I could some, yeah. Uh, and I bring that up because that will come up later in this part of the essay as well. Anyway, so when Lewis starts talking about the day of judgment, I go, oh, I don't want to talk about this. This is bad news. I almost wanted to just skip this essay. Like, I almost just hit skip on my Audible. Um, but it turns out in the Psalms, the Psalms of judgment can be actually delightful things. Things that you might want to, they might be Psalms that you want to turn to often. Psalms of good news. Maybe do you want to say why that is? Yeah, I thought that this was a really interesting take on on how the Psalms can be good news of judgment. You know, that Lewis's Lewis's take on on the judge. And I think judgment is only good news when you have the right judge. Mm. And mm-hmm. um, you know, just to to frame my own kind of mindset as I was reading this as well, uh, the week before I read this essay, I was teaching uh, Intro to Christian Mission here at Eston College, and one of the things that we do in one of the lessons of that, as we talk about, uh, you know, kingdom movements, is what do you think stands in the way of the church actually growing? And a number of things come up there, but what every time that I've ever taught this course, one thing has come up every time, and that is the judgmentalness of Christians. And so then we start reading about judgment here. So I, I wasn't going through it quite as personally, maybe, as you were, but my brain was sensitive to judgment. Let's say that. And judgment becomes good news when you have a good judge. Lewis frames this all as, as saying, you know what, we, we live in a culture where it is assumed that unless a judge is particularly bad um, or evil, you know, he or she is on the take, is being um, maybe blackmailed or is greedy and is taking a bribe, that we assume that we're going to get something close to fair and impartial judgment. Now, of course, um, you know, we can, we can bring all kinds of things into that. Do people of all races and all socioeconomic classes get that fair judgment? Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's many truth, truths to the fact that judges are human beings as well in, in our own judicial system. But by and large, on a historical landscape, if we look back over it, this expectation is foreign. And so the Psalms are written and read and prayed by a culture where they are used to having bad judges. And where they are just, they crave just to have judgment on their cause. Um, because even if you're, especially if you're a person of lower class of any kind, which is most people who are alive, you might not even get your cause heard by a judge. And so Lewis does this really helpful thing where he reframes um, our idea of being judged by him like we are this fugitive trying to avoid judgment, which is how I think our culture would hear about the judgment in the Psalms. 
And he says, no, I, th- I think that when people were actually reading this, it was more like a civil suit and they wanted justice. They were waiting for righteousness. And if a judge heard their plea for justice, then they might actually have the wrong set right that they live every day. Hmm. And, uh, and to me, that felt like really, really refreshing. So having said all that, you know, Lewis frames it that way. Um, he says even, quote, you want him, God, to judge you. You pester him to judge you, end quote, because he is such a good judge and he's going to act on your behalf. So having said all that, Jordan, um, this is what this essay is all about. Uh, what, or at least this part of the essay, rather. What did you take away from it in terms of, um, you know, medicine for your spiritual life? It really was medicine for me. Like I was saying, I, in that time, um, a, a couple of years ago, I, I really found myself identifying with the prodigal son story a lot. And I read um, Henry Nouwen's, um, I can't remember what the book is called. Is it just called The Prodigal Son? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's called The Prodigal Son. Yeah, great yeah. book. Oh, sorry, The Return of the Prodigal Son, it's called. Oh, Return of the Prodigal Son, yeah. Uh, great book. Um, but I always find myself uh, either assuming the role of the younger son, like the wretch like me, uh, the role of the repentant, or swinging to the other son, the older son, um, and justifying myself with good works uh, uh. because I think I don't deserve the father's love, right? But here's the interesting thing. Never once do I f- consider myself in the role of Jesus's parable about the widow who demands her day in court before the unjust judge. I never, wow. I never think about that parable. Wow. I always just I stick to the parable of the two sons. And, um, and so Lewis points out in this second part of the Psalms essay that the Psalms of judgment, uh, most of the Jewish perspective of judgment uh, opposed, you know, as opposed to the Christian one where we assume we're on trial and God's judging us for our sin, the Jewish perspective is a lot like this, this parable of Jesus's. Um, and I think the Psalms of judgment give us language, uh, at least for the situations like you were talking about, the situations where we know we are, we're not in sin. We're in the we're in the right here. We are being oppressed. We are being hurt. We are being wronged. We are suffering for one reason or the other. Um, and I think a lot of times I, I find these psalms comforting. Um, not that I I don't find myself as a person who uh, endures a lot of conflict at the hand of others. Like there's not a lot of people out to get me. Um, yeah. But I find myself situationally suffering. Um, even like I've talked about like anxiety and depression and stuff. And I find myself praying these Psalms of judgment almost as though I'm praying them against an, a, a spiritual oppressor a lot of times. Right. Like I know I'm in the right here against whatever it is that's oppressing me as though there's, you know, there's Psalms about like all my enemies encircle me and laugh at me. And 
I pray that psalm. I'm like, I don't have enemies encircling me and laughing at me. But in the moment, in days where I feel really depressed and, and anxious, it feels like my thoughts are all against yes. me. Yep. It almost feels like my uh, thoughts. I actually had a, um, a prayer time once where I was praying through that story in John chapter eight, where they bring the, uh, the woman caught in adultery out to stone her and they encircle her to, to, to stone her. And Jesus then, uh, writes in the sand and says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And I felt like the Lord in that, uh, picture in that story showed me that my thoughts are the people (laughs) the Pharisees or whoever who surround the woman. I'm the woman caught in sin. And my thoughts are the ones trying to accuse me of my own sin. Wow. And that's what anxiety is like for me a lot of times. Uh huh. And so, um, these Psalms of judgment, all that to say, these Psalms of judgment for me are often, um, something I'm able to pray and Lewis has helped me see this, that when I'm in the right, when I'm being oppressed, the Psalms of Judgment are something helpful that I can pray um, to really just cry out to the Lord and go, like, help me out here. Uh, Lewis writes this, he says, in the Psalms, judgment is not something that the conscience-stricken believer fears but something the downtrodden believer hopes for, which is not something I, it's not the way I saw judgment before reading this essay. Right. He, he, Lewis switched my view of judgment and the Psalms of judgment, basically in that sentence, but through this whole essay. Yeah. Yep. I, I would I would just attest to a really similar recalibration. Hmm. Um, I think reading for that exact reason, and and more to your point, even too, he says, you know, um, the name which we translate as judges, he's referring to the Old Testament and specifically the Book of Judges, is apparently connected with a verb that means to vindicate, to avenge, to right the wrongs of. They may as well be called champions or avengers. I've been meditating on this idea of um, kind of like where and how do I achieve this idea of vindicate me God? So, you know, you, you talk about imagining um, your, your thought life and the, the afflictions of, of depression and anxiety as these encircling thoughts, which I think is just really helpful. And, and it's not necessarily a person, but it is a personified force in your life. I had trouble. And I, Again, maybe just as as a white male to just to just be totally frank, uh, thinking that I can that it's right for me to feel like I have the right before God to say vindicate me, 
because I'm oppressed. And not only that, maybe that's, I might be overstating that a little bit, but like that it's about race or it's about gender or anything like that. On the other side of it, or privilege, I should say, on the other side of it, um, I, I actually think that the reason why I have trouble thinking about God as the kind of judge that I would beg to judge me is because I'm aware of my own sin. You know, like, I do feel like if I was weighed that I would be found wanting. And like you said, you associate with that older son who looks to his performance to justify the love of the father in his life. And that's, I mean, I think we can all relate to that. And I would really, re- you know, I've, I've read uh, Nowen's Return of the Prodigal Son as well, and I highly recommend it. But I, I think that um, when we do achieve that sense of, of vindicate me, Lord, um, you know, somebody who actually gets to the place where it's comfortable praying that, be my judge, I am blameless, rise up on my behalf. I think that that can actually be evil or good. And here's why. Here's why I think that. I think that whoever is saying that could be saying it with one of two heart postures, both of which are based out of the idea that they are fundamentally righteous a.k.a. in the right, a.k.a. properly aligned with God. Um, But one is self-righteousness that either comes from that performance that we were talking about or um, a sense that because I've been wronged, that my victimhood, um, real or imagined, justifies my actions and my attitudes thereafter. Or literally just people who are maybe so narcissistic that they don't they can't see their own shortcomings, their own flaws, their own failures. And so therefore, they say, no, I don't have them. I can stand with this psalmist and, and pray this. I think that kind of self-righteousness when we pray, vindicate me, Lord, and, and be my judge, is actually bad. Um, or at least, you know, where it's sourced is bad. On the other hand, though, I know that I've read church fathers who say, like, how can we even pray the Psalms? You know, uh, we talked about praying the Psalms in the, the last episode a little bit more, maybe. How can we even pray these things? And I know that, uh, you know, the Desert Fathers, for instance, they would, they would pray in some cases through all 150 Psalms a day, and they would associate with, with this, this vindicate me, Lord, thing in the midst of that. And what they said is, this is about me receiving righteousness, Jesus' righteousness. There is no human being on earth who is qualified to say that they are completely blameless before God. Again, a biblical truth. But when we are clothed in Christ, um, we can pray these words. I know that a priest in a high church, a Western high church context, an Anglican Roman Catholic context, when they are leading Eucharist, when they're leading communion, um, there's an extra um, vestment that they put on called the chasuble. looks like a big poncho, basically. And that is to symbolize that, that Christ is really the one hosting the meal. Not, not the priest, not the leader of that meal, who's the celebrant. Um, that literally it is a function of Christ and it, and it can't work unless Christ is the one leading it. And I feel like when we, you know, quote unquote, put on our chasubles, when we put on Christ, when we pray these Psalms, that we actually receive righteousness um, or that where we acknowledge that we have received righteousness through the grace of Jesus and so we can pray it. And so, interestingly, you know, I feel like it's almost like that parable that Jesus tells of the tax collector and the and the um, the uh, Pharisee who are praying together in the temple. And one 
walks away feeling vindicated. You know, the outward show in that parable really exposes the heart posture of the person praying. And what I'm saying is, is that you and I, Jordan, we could be both standing in the prayer room or both standing in a church service and both praying the same song, psalm saying, vindicate me. And your heart could be right and my heart could be wrong because I am, um, like I said, self-righteous and you are receiving the righteousness of Christ. Um, and, and I feel like that for me kind of refocused this whole essay. And I just said, oh, Father God, purge me of this self-righteousness so that I can pray this with your son. Yeah, that's a good thought. I think that's, that's ultimately the reason, that's the best reason there is to pray the Psalms and the best, it's the ultimate reason Lewis gives to be able to pray the Psalms is that, um, is Jesus continued quotations himself from the Psalms. Uh, he says that, uh, the church followed Jesus in steeping their minds in the Psalms. So that means that, and this is the quote, we can't reject from our minds a book in which Jesus's was so steeped. And I think it's in, I think it's in the book reflection on the Psalms. He, he probably picked up the importance to dive into the difference between self-righteousness on the whole. Uh, he really goes into that a lot on the, uh, that issue in the book. Um, but he, he makes a good point that you can, just because you're a sinner doesn't mean that at some points you aren't sometimes in the right. You know, you could be a murderer, but if someone comes up and punches you, that doesn't mean that you weren't in that moment wrong, wronged, or, or someone, someone stole your car, right? Or whatever, stupid examples. But, you know, you could be a terrible person, but that doesn't mean that other people don't also sin against you still. There are some cases where though you are a sinner, you are in the right. And we're all sinners, but there are some cases where we're still in the right. And in those cases, we're able to pray these psalms of judgment, asking God to vindicate us. And um, yeah, I like, I like that image that you just gave um, of the chasuble. I, um, I just preached uh, this past uh, couple weeks at Epiphany. And um, as the listeners will know, I placed it. <laughs> put the sermon on our podcast feed, but uh, because it was a um, special service at our church, uh, we processed in. And usually when I preach at our church, I don't vest. I usually just wear a normal button-down shirt or something, but um, I was wearing an alb that time. And one of the things, one of the reasons it's meaningful to do so, at least um, for me is it reminds me that I am, it reminds me of my baptism huh. that I am clothed in white with Christ. And that one day when I am a new creation, I will be, I will receive that holy, pure white garment and, um, and, and really be made. And that Christ is making me pure and blameless. And he is faithful, like First Corinthians chapter one says. I just read that this week. He is faithful to make me um, blameless uh, at his at his coming. 
And um, so even though that particular week, did I feel like I was the person who should be preaching or I, I was the guy special enough to preach? No, not at all. Did I feel like I was righteous enough to preach? Like, not in the least. That was a pretty tough week for me. I felt like, um, not like especially because I had sinned terribly or anything, but I just, I just felt low that week and I felt like garbage. And part of me was going, why, why should I get up and preach to anyone? But I put on this alb and it reminded me that Christ has clothed me in white and Christ makes me righteous. And it's not by my works, it's by grace. You know? And so if Christ makes me righteous to preach, Christ makes me righteous, and in him I can pray these psalms as well. And I think that Lewis's, and, and you know, the wider church's insistence on praying the psalms is one of the ways that we metaphorically put that album. You know? Hmm. Um, that you're, you're absolutely right. But lots of us, lots of us will never um, have that moment on the platform where we're like, man, this is such an explicit way that I'm meant to be representing Christ. I'm opening up, you know, um, I'm giving some kind of homily, some kind of sermon or, or some kind of explicit ministry like that. But on a day-to-day basis, how do we deal with what Lewis here in, in this essay calls the dark night of the flesh, which I really, which I really like, you know, this um this affliction he contrasts that with a, a term from Christian mysticism, the dark night of the soul, which you already alluded to, but but where he just talks about these ordinary things, these fairly common things of of being isolated and alone, and uh, these things of the world being controlled by or turned upside down by bad men, he says, and and uh, just not really having the belief, you know, that we're trying to believe, but we don't we don't have it, and. And the honest struggle of those things, the honest struggle of, of being belittled intentionally by other people and being laughed at, and how when we, we put aside um, our, our maybe pride and we lay aside our own self-righteousness, um, you know, this, this praying of the Psalms, this entering into it, has this cathartic and spiritually healthy um, way of of replacing our wrong ideas about where our righteousness comes from, replacing the wrong ideas in our head about what kind of judge God is mm. and, and how we actually need to trust him in order to be able to, on a day-to-day basis, um, in the ordinariness of life, represent him with that spiritual albon. And having, having said all that, Jordan, I wanted to just ask, was there anything from that last part of the essay or or um, any other kind of spiritual helps that you had for us as we considered um, Lewis's use of that term, the dark night of the flesh? You know, I don't know that I'm going to say much of anything to it um, other than uh, just to alert listeners that it's there. So there's this idea of the dark night of the soul. I think it came from St. John of the Cross. He wrote this really excellent little book on it where if you are struggling um, in a very dark wilderness time spiritually, I'd really encourage you to, um, first of all, talk to somebody, um, talk to your pastor, 
you find a spiritual director, talk to a friend for sure. Read this book, The Dark Night of the, the Soul. But there's also this idea that Lewis here terms the dark night of the flesh, which I think can be really helpful, which is just to say that maybe just because your suffering isn't at this like super high degree of like dark spiritual emptiness and wilderness doesn't mean that it's not valid suffering. Um, there's still suffering in the flesh that's not necessarily religious suffering, where it might be social suffering, physical suffering, um, situational suffering, you know, just maybe even unemployment, whatever. That we shouldn't, I think, in religious circles, we elevate this sort of, or we, we tend to over-spiritualize things where we really highly value things that are spiritual. Um, but Lewis just gives some, some good value here to uh, what he calls the dark night of the flesh. And, and then it says that all these Psalms of judgment are really helpful for when you're experiencing the dark night of the flesh. And so, especially, you know, as we're heading into the Lent, uh, the Lenten season where we do get self-reflective about our sin and maybe, um, you might experience some dark night of the flesh in that time, uh, some mournful conditions, or you'll experience some mournfulness about your condition of darkfulness. It could be helpful for people like me who get hard on yourself um, to remember that you're not your only enemy. There's also the world out there that's your enemy. Uh, it's not just the flesh and the devil warring against you. And so Sometimes you can cry out to God for mercy from your external enemies as well. It's not just your sinful self. You don't just have to focus all your uh, uh, spiritual, en en uh, spiritual energy on warring against your sinful self. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I think, Jordan, as, as we go, like you said, we're moving into Lent. And uh, this just felt like these, this essay in two parts really felt like a devotional work, and uh, we certainly hope that uh, our listeners receive it as such. Yeah, so next week we will return to that essay called Some Thoughts. We'll do the second part of it, which uh, we'll look at um, the part of it that we think will lead us well right into the season of Lent. And in Lent, we're going to have a few guests on our essays, one of whom will be uh, William O'Flaherty. If you are Around the C.S. Lewis community much, you will know William's name. He has a podcast called All About Jack that he's had for over a decade, and so we're really excited to have him joining us. Um, the other is a former professor of mine from seminary named Joel Scandrett. Joel is in part responsible for this podcast, and I'll explain that later on his episode. He is a big Lewis fan and actually just finished teaching a course on Tolkien as well in January. So we are excited to have him joining us in Lent. Yeah, just uh, stay tuned with us through Lent. And uh, we're excited for what we've got coming up. Again, leave us a like or a review. That would be really helpful. Any last shot thoughts, sh shots, Thon? <laughs> Any last thoughts, Sean? I'm all, I'm all out of thoughts. Uh... 
but uh, I'm going to probably go pray the Psalms after this is what I got to go do. That's a good idea. Well, if you remember in last week's episode about the Psalms, I mentioned something I read from St. Athanasius on how singing the Psalms has a sacramental effect, that the harmony of the Psalms affects the harmony of the soul. Well, I remembered that I actually wrote a short three-page summary about this when I was in seminary, and so if it interests you to get a short summary of what Athanasius said, I will post a PDF of my short paper on our Facebook page, the Lesser Known Lewis Podcast. You can go have a look at it. I can't guarantee that my paper is very exciting, but I promise you, Athanasius certainly is. Also, I encourage you to read ahead for next week's essay, Some Thoughts, and for our three Lent essays coming up, they are Miserable Offenders, The Trouble with X, and On Forgiveness. These three in particular are worth your time, and none of these essays takes more than 12 minutes to read out loud. So, if you want to know where to find or listen to these in print or online, head over to pintswithjack.com essays. And... As you meditate on this lesser-known Lewis work this week, we pray that it would be Jesus who would become more well-known.